0: Welcome to Sovereign Grace. It's been good to be in the house of the Lord already? Amen. Amen. Nathan, again, God bless you for leading us in worship. He leads us to the throne in song. So God bless you, buddy. Appreciate it. Um, Nathan's not going to be with us next week, uh, so uh, that is a good opportunity for anyone in the sanctuary who would like to lead us next week in worship uh, rather than me leading us in worship. That would uh, be an opportunity to obey the Lord's calling on your life, as some are grinning and some are grimacing, as I say that because they're probably thinking the pastor's singing next week, and they're grimacing now, so... No, amen. Well, God bless you guys. I know a couple of children have already been dismissed. Are there any other children that need to be dismissed at this time? All right. Well, God bless everyone. Glad that you are here at Sovereign Grace today. If you will, please turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. As we continue in this rich chapter, and as I've been praying and meditating through chapter 12 particularly... We are going to be focused here in verses 22 um, through 32 for about three weeks. So if you're thinking ahead and planning ahead in your own Bible study and prayer for Sunday morning especially, focus please on verses 22 through 32 and for the next three weeks we will be in this section because there's so much here about who Jesus is. Remember, that's what chapters eleven and twelve are. So far in Matthew's chapters eleven and twelve, Matthew shows us accounts of Jesus and showing that he is Lord. Uh, he was Lord. He is Lord of the Mosaic Law, you no know, God's Law. He is Lord of the Sabbath Law, right? And, and and he's even the one who is to come. We saw that in Matthew chapter eleven when John the Baptist was questioning, "Are you the one?" And Jesus pointed his cousin John, to the scriptures and said, I am the one to come. Now we come to a passage of Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 through 24. And we're going to see how Jesus is now going to be seen as Lord, not just of this physical world, but he is Lord of all things. I mean, he's the Lord of healing and of Sabbath rest. We've seen that. But Jesus is also Lord of the unseen world. He's Lord of the spiritual world. Jesus is even Lord over the demons and Lord over Satan. And so this is why for the next three weeks here in this section, there is much here for us to see because we in a modern mindset don't think about the spiritual the way that Christians of old used to. So if you're able to stand, would you stand in reverence for reading of God's word with me? As we read Matthew chapter 12 verses 22 through 24, I'm hearing pages rustling in the Bibles. Can I just share with you from the pulpit that that is music to a pastor's ears? To listen to pages turning in the Bible on Sunday morning. Amen. Let's listen. Listen to God's Word as Matthew shares with us an account of Jesus and His ministry. Verse 22. Then a demon-oppressed man, who was blind and mute, was brought to him, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Hmm. Let's pray. Dear God, we are paused here with just a a couple of verses of your word, three verses, 22, 23, and 24, that reveal so much about who your Son, Jesus Christ, is. We as fallen, sinful people do not see what you see. We only see this physical world that is corrupt and fallen because of our rebellion against you. We, we do not see the unseen spiritual world as you do. But God, your son Jesus Christ, is shown here in Matthew's gospel as having so much compassion for us, the sinful, broken humanity that we are, that he is Lord even over the satanic forces that can manipulate us and control us. So God, I pray this week and for the next two weeks as we are listening to you speak to us in your word about this particular authority of your son, Jesus, show us God exactly who your son is and please show us the truth of the greater reality of all of your creation that there's not just the seen world, but also the unseen, but your son, Jesus Christ is Lord of it all. And I pray, God, that your word would speak true today, would speak loudly to us today. And anyone who is here listening, Father, who needs to hear exactly your word spoken to their heart, Lord, I pray that they would be attentive, that your Holy Spirit would cause them to hear and that you would draw them to your grace. Dear God, this time is for you and we are listening. So please speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I don't think any of us can avoid the reality of this world that sickness and disease plague us, doesn't it? Um So far, we have not entered into the full-blown flu season, but um, it's, you know, we still have flu. Seems like last year, flu disappeared, COVID took over, but I think flu is still around, isn't it? And cough and all that kind of stuff. We, we live in a fallen world where disease plagues us, doesn't it? At the same time, uh, physical deformities and handicaps, we see them as their natural afflictions that are caused sometimes by no fault of our own or no harm given to us. Sometimes people are born with deformities we saw this last uh, a couple of weeks ago with a man with a withered hand as Jesus was healing this man. That is just enough further evidence that our world is full of of deformities and and suffering and disease. But here in verse twenty two, Matthew shows us a man who could neither see nor speak. We see this. Then a demon oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him. Now we. In our physical world, we may look at someone who is both blind and unable to speak and say, well, bless them. They're just physically deformed. But Matthew shows us a little bit deeper here. There's a strong implication that these, these, these things that he suffered from, he, was, he could not speak, he could not see. The, he suffered these things because of Satan. It was not, he was not necessarily born this way. We get the strong indication that he could not see and he could not speak because he was demon possessed. So there are physical ailments in our world that can be the result of satanic forces. Right, here's the evidence of this. I want to make sure we understand this. He most likely, that this demon-possessed man, he most likely showed signs of madness, which would have been another clear indicator of demon possession. This is why whenever you run across anyone who is really going, I, I, you know, I'm not politically correct here. They're going crazy. That's the best description of it. There's a lot of demon possession in that situation as well. That no pill antidepressant can fix anxiety and and madness and mental disorders can often be the result of the spiritual. I would say very rarely is it just the physical chemical imbalance. I would say 99.9% of all mental illness is more spiritual than it is physical. We see this here. This demon possessed man who could not see, he could not speak, and most likely he may have shown signs of madness as well. Our modern sensibilities, we we are are too sensible, we're too sensible to, to naturalism. This is the way of thinking that all that there is to know, all truth, is that which is in the physical world. Whether we realize it or not, in our modern ways of thinking, and in our modern education system, that's what we're teaching one another that the only thing that can be definite and the only thing that can be true is that which is in the natural world that we can measure and see. And so in our in our 21st century, 2021, going into 2022 soon, mindsets, we have lost the vision of the spiritual, even in the church, because we see all that there is in this natural world. And so I think what we're seeing here is something important for us to uncover that there is a larger world at play. There's a larger reality that our Lord has created that also includes the spiritual. Now, the spiritual, whether it be uh, the, the supernatural world, whether it be evil or whether it be good, is not distant from us out there somewhere in a third or fourth heaven. God himself is always active in the physical world. He has never left it. At the same time, satanic forces have corrupted this world as well. They have never left it. But in our modern mindset, the lie of the devil is there is no God. There is no Satan. All that there is is this physical world. You see how we can fall into that mindset and we lose the spiritual thinking. We see here in this passage that this demon possession... Well, we're going to see today, let me just add that, we're going to see today as we dig through this passage and other passages that sometimes demon possession can be the result of God's will, but only when the one who is possessed willingly turns from God's will. We're going to see some of that today. God is sovereign and He controls even the demonic for His glory. Our Lord is sovereign over every spirit, whether it be good or evil. We're going to see that. He is sovereign over it all. Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 through 24, these these three verses are not the only time that Jesus is shown casting out demons. And it's not going to be the last in the Gospels. We're going to see it often. Jesus and the satanic powers of the unseen spiritual world, they were in constant battle. Jesus and Satan... Jesus and Satan's demons, they were in constant battle during his ministry. Constant. And it wasn't, not just during Jesus' lifetime, but there was this spiritual battle that we see in scripture was, was around, it was been around for, before the beginning of time, there's been a spiritual warfare going on. Colossians chapter 1, if you want to flip there, you can. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 16. We see the origin of the supernatural through Jesus Christ himself. Says here in Colossians chapter 1 beginning in verse 15, He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created. And let's pause right there. By Him, Jesus Christ, all things. All things were created, and then Paul continues to describe what all things are. All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Jesus was there at the beginning with his Father, very active in the creation process. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything was created through Him and for Him. That includes you. That includes me. That includes this the world we live in. It includes the spiritual aspect of creation as well. We also see in Colossians chapter one verse seventeen, Paul continues, "And He, Jesus, is before all things, and in Him." All things hold together. Jesus being the Son of God, both human and divine, all things. We're not even breathing apart from the grace of our God. The molecules that can make us up, makes up our physical being, they are held together by the will of our Father God Creator and His Son, Jesus Christ, who is part of it all. Jesus is Lord not only of the physical world, He is Lord over the spiritual as well. You see what we're seeing here? This is what Paul tells us in Colossians. Now, where did everything go wrong is the question <laughs> It's it's kind of a mystery. Yet we do have some hints in Scripture. We also have some evidence in some of the the extra canonical books of script of that people. It's not Scripture, but it's books that have helped the apostles and other Christians through the centuries think through some of the spiritual. Again, it's not part of the inspired Word of God, but it is still part of our church history. We're not going to read any of that tonight, uh, this morning, but if you look in Ezekiel chapter 28, we do see the origin of the satanic influence on our world. Ezekiel chapter 28, the the prophet Ezekiel speaks about the fall of Satan. Now, again, we don't have necessarily a, a particular chronological timeline of when all this occurred. We just know it did. Beginning in verse 11 of Ezekiel chapter 28, we read from the prophet Ezekiel. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God. Now he's speaking about a particular king, but the the, the prophecy that follows, actually the poetry that follows, clearly speaks of Satan. This king of Tyre is being, described just the way Satan was described. That There's an important connection there. Thus the Lord God said, you were the site of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Zardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbonic. uh, Forgive me, I want to butcher this word. Carbonical and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings on the day that you were created they were prepared you were an anointed guardian cherub who is ezekiel talking about satan he was a create, he is a created being uh, an angelic being we get the the implication here and what was his role Satan was in the Garden of Eden as an anointed guardian cherub. Clearly he failed in that job. Because then he also caused Eve to fall and Adam to fall. Satan was filled with violence. We see that in verse 16. If we read, drop down to verse 16 of Ezekiel 28. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. There we go. Satan was cast out of God's presence for his arrogance, his pride, his rebellion, his violence. Satan was filled with violence and he was cast out as profane from the mountain of God. Verse 17, we continue. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. And you can continue to read there if you wish. But you see, Satan's beauty caused him to be prideful and corrupt. That's the core of human sin as well. We look upon ourselves in the same way Satan viewed himself as perfect and beautiful and glorious. And that was Satan's fault. We also see in 1 Samuel chapter 16 that our Lord God is sovereign over every spirit, even the evil spirits. We, I mean, if you want to flip over, you can. 1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning in verse 14, we read about a young David who was called upon to soothe the torment of a harmful or evil spirit that God placed upon Saul. Remember that story as King Saul is tormented in his mind When we read in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14, that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. Well, this evil spirit that the Lord put upon Saul was there. And when we read even further, we read that a young David, as he plays his, his lyre, a type of a harp, that whenever he would play music, then Saul's soul would be soothed and the Spirit of the Lord would actually call, give him comfort. Verse 23, when David played that liar, the evil spirit from the Lord that was upon Saul would depart from him temporarily. So we even see evidence in Scripture that that God is in control even of the evil spirits. He will allow, and actually in this case for uh, King Saul, he will send an evil spirit upon him. Now we understand why. I mean, we understand Saul's failure. He... He failed in his leadership role as king, but more so he failed in not honoring his lord and obeying him, turning from his creator God to his own strength. That was what allowed the evil spirit to enter. It's in this it's in passages like these, you know, 1 Samuel and even Ezekiel 28. It's in these kind of passages that we see evidence that demonic spirits do roam the earth we also see that they don't control the world. It is God and His sovereign power alone that gives evil spirits any room to move. The only control that an evil spirit has is that which is either... that that either a sinful soul grants it. So a, a human being, if you are in sin and if you are in rebellion against God, you will and you can give an evil spirit permission whether consciously or subconsciously, to control your thoughts and actions. Now y'all getting quiet. You know those evil thoughts, those harmful thoughts that we all have in our sinful state? They are ours. They, are, they do belong to us. But those thoughts can also be the cause or are caused by demonic forces in our minds. And so this is why scripture tells us to put on the mind of Christ to control every thought. Do not allow evil thoughts to dominate you, Christian. Turn to Christ. That's a good red flag. If your minds are going where they don't, going places where they don't need to go, that is a very strong sign you are allowing demonic forces to control your thinking and you are not trusting and believing in your Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a good sign to turn to him in that moment of thought. But let it be noted here that nowhere in Scripture, I I can't find anywhere in Scripture, that our holy and sovereign God puts an evil spirit on anyone who is in God's will, who is righteous. God does not do that. He does cause evil spirits to go upon those who are not righteous. Those who have willingly turned from him. God will permit that. Now, Job, when we think about Job, Job does suffer from the actions of Satan. We see that in Job chapters one and two. Remember, the first two chapters of Job, it's this interaction between God and Satan in heaven, back and forth. It's this, this debate back and forth. And God says, okay, I mean, Satan, go ahead. Here's my servant, Job. But even there, just because evil actions torment Job by God's sovereign hand, Job is not guilty of turning from God's righteousness, and no demon possesses Job at all in that work. He does suffer from demonic forces, but he is not possessed by demonic forces. That's a big thing to remember. So any time that we see in scripture that a soul is possessed by an evil spirit, either a sinful soul permits that demon to control him or her, even subconsciously without realizing it, or God permits their control over them. But if God permits an evil spirit to torment a soul, it's because that soul first rejected the Holy Spirit. First rejected God himself. Now when we look at Matthew chapter 12 verse 22, Jesus heals the demon oppressed man. He heals them. He heals him so that the man spoke and saw. I mean, we can clearly infer here that Jesus does, just doesn't heal his physical ailments. He is casting this demon out too. It's there. But when we look at verse 23, now we see the reaction. Verse 23. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? I mean, verse 23, when all the people were amazed, that's a common reaction that Matthew shows us every time Jesus does a wonderful miracle. They were amazed. And and even when Jesus teaches, Matthew tells us at the end of, of the Sermon on the Mount, and they were amazed. They were astonished at his teaching. The reaction of, and you can underline this, all the people, the reaction of all the people that Matthew shares is one of amazement and wonder. All the people. They witnessed the divine power of God at work here. I don't know about, has anybody ever witnessed a, a, a casting out of demon and exorcism? Has anybody ever physically witnessed any of that kind of thing? I've never physically witnessed that. I don't know about, I mean, if I saw, I mean, if I was convinced that someone was possessed by a devil and, and, and God's hand cast that out, I would go, wow. Wouldn't you? Now, we see it in entertainment and in movies. That's our, that's our numb perception of what's going on, but it's not real. These people, all the people, they witnessed God at work. They witnessed a divine act of God in, in Jesus, and and they understood that a holy occurrence happened here. Something holy has happened. The visible display of God's power in healing this blind and mute demon-possessed man, I think, showed them clearly who Jesus was. They were amazed. See that? The reference to the son of David, this is what they ask here in verse 23. Can this be the son of David I mean, the son of David is a messianic title. And it's also connected with the first angel, chapter 16, verse 23, that we just talked about where David would be uh, playing the musical instrument for Saul. And as he played the music, the, the evil spirit would temporarily depart. So they, they understood the history here. Wait a minute. A demon has just left this man and Jesus caused this to happen. Is this the same thing that young David did for Saul. Is this the son of David? Many witnesses to Jesus' healing, they admired him and they were astonished at what happened. And we know that Jesus healed the oppressed and he cast out demons in a unique way. How does Jesus do this? We saw this back in Matthew chapter 8. Remember, we were there... uh Earlier this year, Matthew chapter 8, verse 16, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. That's important because Jesus, when he did these, he didn't have a show. This was not a show of magical incantations. There was no magic here. Jesus would just do this with a word. What the people witnessed at this event here in Matthew chapter 12, verse 22, this casting out of the demon was perhaps a calming of this maniacal demon simply with the word. Nothing more. They could not deny the facts before them. All the people saw that the man could neither see nor speak. And this man was clearly possessed by a demon. But now he was able to see. Now he was able to speak. And Jesus did all of this with a simple word. That's power. Amen. Yet the people, they truth, I mean, they, they truthfully acknowledge God's power here, and they were guided to faith. This, this event here, I think in verse 23, clearly brings these people to a point of faith. Not necessarily salvation and belief, but to a point of faith. Their question here, can this be the Son of David? has a hint of doubt in it, because belief, if it was truly belief, it would be something different, because belief, it does not grow out, I mean, it does grow out of a seed of faith, and this hesitancy in the question shows at least a hint of faith. Remember, can this be the Son of David is not, this is the Son of David. Now, had they replied with, this is the son of David, we could perhaps conclude that the people were in a, in, a, in the position of believing. But to just a hint of doubt here, can this be? It's still a hint of faith. It's just not full-fledged belief yet, I don't think. I don't think they're quite there yet. But now we drop down to verse 24. Now we see a contrasting reaction. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Perhaps some of the people in the crowd were speaking and asking this question. They were talking amongst one another. Can this be the son of David? And the Pharisees overheard what they were talking about, and they had to interrupt. Oh, oh let me correct your thinking here. Y'all, y'all know folks like that? All right? The Lord is showing you something deep in the scriptures and he's really moving in your heart and you're just wrestling with and questioning and trying to learn what is it God that you're teaching me and somebody who is holy, oh, that's not God. (laughs) You ever been there? I mean, there's wisdom in discerning the spirits, but I mean, at the same time, don't be like a Pharisee. Oh, this can't be God. This is the devil. They, They were hearing the faith of the people and they were scared no doubt in verse you know no doubt that just as all the people saw the power of god these these pharisees they saw the power of satan instead now that's that's a that's a big problem all the people saw god at work but the pharisees saw satan at work so i, I there's clearly a diabolical poison here that blinded these men causing them Let's just be honest, they slandered the power of God. They're slandering God here. A spiteful disposition against this holy action, this holy event, that God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, they cure suffering, these natural ailments of this fallen world. Right here, every time that Jesus heals... Every time he casts out a demon, that is evidence of God's presence in our physical world. Amen? He's not a distant God up there in the sky somewhere. He's active right here. These Pharisees, they're they're full of poison. They accuse Jesus of serving Satan here, don't they? They argue that Jesus must be Beelzebub, or at least possessed by Beelzebub in order to cast out the demons. And Matthew's account tells us one of the titles for Beelzebul here, he was the prince of demons. The account of Jesus preparing his disciples for ministry back in Matthew chapter 10, remember that, told us of Jesus' reminder to his disciples to be wary of the persecution that was coming, just like what Jesus is facing here. Remember that back in Matthew chapter 10, verse 25, he reminds them that there will be persecution that accuses you of being under the master of Beelzebul, that the master of the house would be the devil himself. So that's what's happening here. Well, Jesus is the master of the house. And so this accusation that Jesus must be controlled by Satan, or at least be controlled by the chief demon Beelzebub, is a twisting of the truth. There's a twisting here of God's power that the Pharisees are doing, that their accusation distorts the evidence of that's before them. They cannot see the holiness of what is happening, just as Satan's only power is to distort and twist the truth of God's will and power. That's the only power that Satan has. He can only distort what is good. He cannot control what is good. He's only twisting, and that's and, and what we're seeing here in the Pharisees, that the power of Satan here, the, the diabolical poison, is a distortion in their minds of the truth of God's will and God's power. And these Pharisees, they, they have a spiteful disposition against this holiness. They have a spiteful disposition against a, God's intervention in the natural world. That's what's happening. And so thing about it, if Beelzebub equals the prince of demons, then the demons have a head. Likewise, God's people have a head. And who is our head, Christians? Christ. Jesus Christ himself. So here's a, another twisted distortion of, of, of accusing Jesus of being under the control of the head of Satan himself. So this accusation of these Pharisees against Jesus, that's clearly, I think, more evidence of Satan's work here. The truth of Jesus' identity is actually being distorted by Satan to confuse people. That's what's happening in this account. Further evidence, I think, of satanic distortion comes because Satan is the father of lies, and he's found in the very accusation here of of Jesus working under the influence like a pagan exorcism. They're accusing Jesus of, of acting like a pagan exorcist. Pagan exorcisms were very widely known at the time and they were known to remove demons by magical incantation and flamboyant shows. That's what, even during Jesus' time. Sorcery in the Old Testament, merited the death penalty. And so these Pharisees, under the control of Satan's uh, thinking here, they twisted God's word. Even in Exodus chapter 22, verse 18, they understood the law. You shall not permit a sorceress to live. So they're accusing Jesus. You're just another sorcerer. We're following God's word here. They could also have probably taken from Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, where, where the Mosaic law are, uh, challenges to make sure you understand what a prophet is doing. If a prophet who is successful and actually conducts a miracle, because some false prophets can show a miracle of some sort. If that miracle appears, but the prophet says, let's go after other gods, that is a clear sign that they are not God's prophet. And so this, the Pharisees here were trying to pull out of the Deuteronomy and, and Exodus narratives here of the law says, say, of oh, Jesus, you're under Satan's control. They're trying to attach him to Satan's control here. Now we have to have to think here the power of Satan always remains influential, even today, folks. Is Satan's power still under control here? We, we, yeah, he still has a lot of influence. Lies, accusations. I mean, just think about it. Anytime a, a claim is made for the purpose of deceiving, that's the influence of the devil. That's the influence of Satan himself. So here, here's another little rabbit trail that the pastor gets in trouble for, but I have to say this. Hear my, hear my heart. Evangelical Christians, I love you. I'm one of you. But the lies of politics distort us so deeply are we under the control of Satan during political seasons being manipulated by the political lies and distortions that are out there? Do we worship the politics or do we worship our creator? Rabbit trail, you can talk to me after the service and correct me if I'm wrong here. But, you know, it's these, these, these Pharisees, they are distorting the truth of a holy event for political purposes, their political power. They're, they're, they're causing they're dropping lies in the crowd as they're they're amazed by Jesus and his and his miracles. They are dropping poison within the crowd to distort Jesus's reputation. Is that not what politicians do? They're doing it for political gain. They're doing it for their own political power because they don't want to lose it to Jesus. That's a typical tactic of the devil. There are two reactions here to Jesus's healing of this demon-possessed man. Either, either, either one of these. There was astonishment, and, and some saw a miracle of God's power. Others saw Satan controlling the reaction, and Jesus was equated with sorcery. And so, this scene here sets the stage for a battle of the mind between Jesus, the Son of God, and the Pharisees. That's what we're going to see here for the next few weeks. Verses 22 through 24 is setting the stage for a battle of the wits between Jesus and the Pharisees. And guess who's going to win, (laughs) right? Uh, This scene sets the stage here because... Jesus is the Son of God. He has the mind of His Father, but the Pharisees were thinking like Satan. So what we're going to see here in verses 22 through 32 for the next several weeks, we're going to see this battle at play here between divine God and satanic forces. We're going to see that. His argument that Jesus gives them both reveals the truth of God's power and the lies of Satan. We're going to see that. And Jesus, he lays out the case for his identity as the son of God in these following verses. The one with power over even the unseen spirit world. Jesus is going to prove that he is Lord of the spiritual world. Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of all creation. Remember Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 17? That reminds us. But we can also see in this healing here in Matthew 12 verse 22 that Jesus is Lord over the darkest aspects of the fallen world. When, when this demon possessed man who is blind and mute is healed and the demons are cast out, that is, I mean, that's, that's power that none of us can fathom. The darkest aspects of our fallen world, the darkest aspects of our sin, Jesus is in control of all of that. And in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, Paul reminds us that He, Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and He has transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's the gospel. We have been delivered from the domain of darkness. That's what Jesus is showing here in this healing. As He's casting out demons, He's delivering this man from the power of darkness. And Jesus, He can deliver His church from the domain of darkness because Jesus is Lord over all creation. He's Lord over the physical world. He's Lord over the spiritual world. And His compassion for the demon-possessed man here, I think it shows His authority over the demons who dominate us. Demons are real. Now don't go out of here and go home and look for demons in your house. Don't go out there and say, Pastor, come to my house and sprinkle holy water over my, I don't do that. But I do ask us to be aware and be, be, be cautious. What are you allowing into your house? What are you allowing into your mind? Parents, you have a a responsibility in your house. What are you allowing in your house? What are you allowing your children to, to consume as entertainment? You're letting them watch cartoons that are really just shows of demons doing whatever they want to do as a child's show? Or are you letting the Spirit of God dominate your home? Those who don't have children at home anymore, what are you allowing to consume your mind. What, what are you filling your mind with? Are you filling your mind with the satanic stuff, or, or are, you allow, are you filling your mind with praise music and, and the reading of God's Word? and what, what are you doing? This is October. Already, I mean, it started a week or two ago, but all, what's, what's this month known for in our secular communities? I mean, this is Halloween month. I mean, it's already out there. I mean, if you watch any kind of television... I mean, the, the 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 Halloween satanic shows are already there. The the horror movie flicks are already dominating. Why are we allowing that to fill our minds? I have a strong argue, I mean, I have a strong stand against even pastors who say horror films are okay. I I got a problem with that. I've got a big problem with horror films dominating Christian lives. I got a problem with that. Demons are real. Prayer for protection over the demons is also real. As Jesus protects his people from dark forces, we're going to close with this in Psalm 91. You can take notes if you want. I'm just going to read verses 9 through 10. Psalm 91 reminds us, these are the songs of David here. Psalm 91. Psalmist sings this praise to the Lord. He says, Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague can come near your tent. I mean, that's a, that's a promise to God's people. The Lord, our God, Jesus Christ himself, He protects His people. He is Lord over the spiritual. He's Lord over the physical. But we're also going to see as we move forward in the next few verses, we're going to stop today on verse 24. And as Nathan comes on forward, we're going to transition now into a time of communion. But what we're going to see here next week and the week after is we're going to begin to see even deeper exactly who Jesus is and His connection with the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit is not just some fantasy or how the Holy Spirit is just not some presence of the Lord. It's more the the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. The personhood of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is personable. And we're going to see how Jesus brings the argument here to... These Pharisees, you've got to be careful what you're saying to me, folks. You got to be careful what you're saying about the healing and the casting out of demons. You're blaspheming not only me, you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You can only blaspheme a person. You cannot blaspheme an idea. So we're going to see the next few weeks here. We could keep going, but we'll. We got to eat here, son. This is Sunday, first Sunday of the month. We got to eat. I can't. I can't preach two more sermons today to talk to flesh this out. Okay. But it's common. Think about this. I want you to ponder and pray and reading your scriptures this week. Who is the Holy Spirit? Because Jesus here is Lord over the spiritual world. He's Lord over the, the demons and the unseen evil spirits. And how is that possible? Because there's a Holy Spirit at work here too. Amen? We're going to transition now to a time of worship at the Lord's table. The first Sunday of every month here at Sovereign Grace, we worship at the Lord's table. We, we come and have communion together. And if, if the men who are going to be leading us, if they could come on forward and be prepared. I want to pray for us here as we close out what we've read here in Scripture and transition into a time of worship. But folks, this is a time set aside for God's people. And and just as the Psalmist in Psalm 91 reminds us that that God will protect his people from the evil dark forces. There's a there's a special place of being in God's people, being in his body, being being the elect. And at this time when we come to the Lord's table, I want to read an, uh, from Paul in 1 Corinthians 11. Whoever there Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is a passage we read every month. And I read this because it is scripture, it is a command. If you are a visitor with us this morning, you are welcome to join us at the table. If you are a baptized, born again, like-minded believer in Christ, we welcome you here. If you are not a baptized, born again believer, I do ask that you refrain from partaking today. Not as, not as an insult, but just as, uh, please be respectful. This is this is for God's people. And if you are not of God's house, if you are not redeemed by the blood of Christ, please come talk to us after the service. We'll pray with you. We'll chat. We'll answer your questions. This is a time for God's people to remember the sacrifice of our Savior. The cost of our sin was high. And He redeemed us. Let us pray. Father God, You sent Your Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us, to rescue us, from the control of the dark forces of this world and to rescue us from our sin. And for that, God, we, we can never repay you. And your son, Jesus Christ, suffered horribly on that cross for us. His body was broken. His blood was spilled. Yet he came out of the grave for us. And as we pause and worship today, as we remember the sacrifice made for our sin, Lord, I pray that you would just honor our act of obedience in communion together in this one memory. I pray for your spirit to be in this room. I pray that you would love us and show us your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.